Hi, this is Tom Rotolo, founder of CityQuake. Welcome to our podcast where we feature messages that will change your life. I believe that Christians around the world are way overfed with teaching and way underactivated. What do I mean by that? We don't put that teaching to practice in our everyday life and it actually makes us worse off. We know biblical truth, but it has not actually transformed our life. Well, I've chosen messages for these podcasts that will inspire you and challenge you to live out your identity as a believer filled with the Spirit of God. It's time to not just fill seats at church anymore. It's time to see our cities transformed for the kingdom of God. Get ready to be activated. my talent, okay? <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's hard to be this gifted. I mean, my greatest cross to bear is being handsome and humble, but I'm bearing it well. And, and so I'm writing a new book on humility and how I attained it, pride and how I overcame it and how you two can be like me. It's going to be a bestseller. It's going to be amazing. And, and uh, I, you just make me feel like dancing. Maybe I should start my dancing thing. And, uh, so this morning, I know it's Saturday morning, and we've all come in with carryovers, because in the world you get hangovers, but in the kingdom you get carryovers, right? And uh, you, you go from glorified to glory fried, and, and it's all those great things. And so sometimes you just need to stir up you know, your blood flow and all that. So I, I like to do something in these Saturday morning uh, things, and I call it prophetic Pilates. <laughs> and the great thing about prophetic Pilates is it doesn't take any exercise. Because you're prophesying those things that are not as though they were. So right now I'm just working my core. I'm just working my core. I'm dropping the pounds. And, and so you can just entertain. You can just partake of that right now. Or, or we can do prophetic Zumba. I got a word for you and you and you and you. Uh, and He started it. Listen, if you're not having fun in church, you're probably not doing church right. Are you hearing me? We should be the happiest people on the planet. Why? Because we are the people who were bound for hell, but our sins have been forgiven. And we have fellowship with God the Father, Jesus the Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful, amazing life we get to lead. It's amazing. You don't have to strive for this stuff. It's actually when you realize something that God desires to use you more than you even want to be used. I've had this vision lately of Jesus pacing, pacing with anticipation, pacing with excitement, pacing with great expectation, like a father waiting for a baby to be born. And this is what I felt. I feel like the Lord is releasing the expectation of heaven in the room this morning. I believe he's bringing to us more than just the measure of faith that we receive at salvation, but I feel the gift of faith, one of the gifts of the Spirit, the gift of faith in the room. It's not just faith in the Son of God, but it's the faith of the Son of God coming upon us. How many want to receive that right now? Come on, I believe this. The expectation of heaven, the expectation of your Father is that you're going to succeed. You're going to have the best day of your life today until tomorrow <laughs> and the next day. I've been walking with God for 24 years, 
And I can tell you something. I, I've, I've, in those 24 years, I've had some hard days, but I've not had any bad days. Because I've learned that hard's not bad, it's just hard. It's perspective. Because if I truly believe that God is good, if I truly believe that He is the Lord over my life, then even what the enemy means for evil, God will work for good. So I don't focus on the bad, I focus on the Lord. I don't focus on my symptoms that I feel in my body, I focus on Jesus, my healer. I've not been more afraid of COVID than I've trusted in the covenant of healing. I've not been more afraid of the enemy than I am of God. And I'm not talking about being afraid of God. I'm just afraid to do anything without him. Do you understand that the Lord wants to partner with you? Here's what separates spirit-filled Christians walking in, in the power of Holy Spirit. What separates us from people in New Age and the occult and psychics and mediums and all of those things is all of those other folks are trying to have some kind of connection with something or someone out there. But in the kingdom, it's the Lord initiating the contact. It's the Lord saying, hey, I want to show you something. I want to release power through you. And so all you have to do is show up and bring Jesus with you. Don't, don't complicate it. It's just loving the people right in front of you. Does anybody in this room feel tension? Like you're just going through a season of tension. Wow, most of you are perfect. That's amazing. Uh, to me, tension doesn't mean something's wrong. It just means something's happening. Whenever we feel pressure, we feel tension, the tendency is like, what's wrong? What's wrong? What do I, what do I need to fix? And, and it's the wrong question to ask. Because the Lord doesn't often focus on what's wrong. He focuses on what's missing. So if I feel tension, I, I say, Lord, what, what's happening here? I, I love the tension of the Gospels. The, the Gospels and the Bible are actually filled with tension. Well, why do you say that? Well, the Gospels end with go, and the book of Acts begins with wait. That's tension for me. Do I go or do I wait? Should I stay or should I go now? Right? Well, listen, since you know the gift, I'm going to share it with you because it would be wrong not to. I don't even know what I just said. It's the tension of, should I go or should, should I wait? Over this last year, I have this creek on my property that is normally beautiful until it flooded, but it's still beautiful. It's still my favorite place on my property. We have woods and, and, and kind of a hill that I call a mountain, but then you see Mount Rainier and you just realize it's a hill, but, but I like to think that I own a mountain. We have this creek that flows through our backyard that goes to the Harpeth River and and, and I like to sit there with the Lord. I have this kind of cool sitting area, and, and I just like to hang out there. And, and I was sitting there one day just hanging with the Lord, and he goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm just waiting on you. He said, son, you're not waiting on me. You get to wait with me. And he actually had me reposition my chair instead of just sitting solo, like just looking ahead. He had me turn it sideways at the other chair that I have there. 
Because I don't wait on him, I wait with him. And he's actually more expectant, he's actually more excited about what I'm going to do today than I am. Are you hearing me today? Your father is so excited about you. He's so excited about what you're gonna, where you're going to bring the kingdom and who you're going to minister to. And in fact, he's already there. He's already, can you imagine this? That he's here in the room with us, but he's also already there in front of the person you're going to minister to today. That's exciting to me. I love it. Here's another area of tension for me, and I'm going to share this because it's just real. Last September, my brother's wife, my sister-in-law, Patty, went home to be with the Lord. And she had battled in and battled against liver disease, and she was on a liver transplant list, and then the, uh, she got cancer, and so that knocked her off the list. And it was just, it was a hard struggle, and we cont- believed and contended and declared healing. And, and on, on September 25th or so, she went home to be with the Lord. And I rejoiced with the fact that she, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But there was tension in that moment for me. Here was the tension. The tension is, is often in between what I believe and what I'm seeing. This walk of faith, this life of faith is a place of tension. Can anybody relate to that? If I'm honest, I mean, I, I love to share all the testimonies of every time I got it right and how many things I've seen and, and miracles that have happened. I'll, I'll show you some, I'll share with you some successes today and some failures today because I think that's what we should do. If we're actually going to teach this thing, I think you should learn from my failure as much as you should from my success. Because that's what fathers do. That's what dads do. We say, hey, I tried it this way, it didn't work this way, but th- this is what I learned from it. And you can avoid some of those pitfalls. It's really helpful. If I'm really honest with you, probably in total, okay, in my 24 years of walking with Jesus, of 20 years of full-time ministry, I've probably seen more people not healed when I prayed for them than people I have seen healed when I prayed for them. It's tension for me. Because my faith says, and the Bible says, that I can lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. You know, shall, shall, that word shall, is one of the most assertive words in any language. It's an absolute. It's not, and they might be healed, or they could be healed, or they might could be healed, as we say in the South. Well, you might could go over there and get you a coffee. And we don't have good coffee like y'all have up here. Somebody asked me if I want a coffee. Michael asked me, you want me to pick up a coffee on my way to get you today? I said, sure, I'll, I'll take a latte. Now, I'm normally just a black coffee guy. I just like it just the way that, that God intended it. <laughs> but I thought since I'm out here with the foo-foo folks, I would just... <laughs> Did that hurt a little bit? I, I didn't mean to be offensive. <laughs> but what offends you reveals you, you know what I'm saying? So... so you know, where I live in Franklin, Tennessee, and Nashville, there, there's some coffee snobs there. Y'all have great coffee. Listen, 
I do, I do Starbucks a lot. I got Pike's Place, so I've been praying for you longer than you've even known about me. So, so we're cool. Don't get mad at me now. And I forgot the whole reason I'm telling this story. <laughs> you know what happened? I said foo-foo, and then you all started binding me. And we just come against him right now. Let him forget what he's about to do. But if I'm honest with you, I, I see, I pray for lots of people. And sometimes I've seen it and sometimes I've not. But the fact of the matter is, I've seen it once. Here's what I do. If I feel any hint of discouragement, I go back to the last place God showed up. I go to the last place where I remember where I saw God do a healing, do a miracle, speak to somebody's life, change something. And like David, I begin to strengthen myself or encourage myself in the Lord. Are you hearing me today? Here's where I was going with that story. Don't underestimate the little things in the kingdom because what you perceive as little is actually something really great to God. Last year, as lockdowns were happening, I... I went through the drive-thru of uh, Dunkin' Donuts to get a cup of coffee because sometimes you just really need a good cup of bad coffee. (laughs) Come on, somebody. Now I won you back, right? Because we're in agreement on one thing. We're like, all right, he's all right now. So I go through the drive-thru, and, and this gal is, is, is serving me, and I hand her my credit card. I say, you know, good morning. Honey, how you doing? And she just bursts into tears. And I said, are you all right? She said, yeah, just nobody's ever been this nice to me before. And I'm thinking, this is the South. We call everybody honey boo and sweetheart. And we say, bless your little heart, which isn't really a great thing to say to people, but... <laughs> I thought, surely in Franklin, Tennessee, somebody has been nice to this little girl before. But in that moment, it was the most important encounter of her day. Because it just came in and changed everything. I think if you'll understand that whether you're going to a homeless camp or you're encountering somebody in the new age or you find somebody demonized, you are actually stepping into a place to change the atmosphere. Don't underestimate with what God is doing in everyday life. A few years ago, when I was living in Pensacola, we had to go to New Orleans to renew my passport. And, and so we drove over there with the wife, my wife and kids, and we were spending the day. And we, uh, they held up our, my passport overnight, so we had to get a room. And so we went out to dinner, and we were walking back to our hotel, and there was this guy that was very well dressed and he, he had this to me kind of this bag, this very expensive travel bag with him. And he's a suit, obviously looking like a business guy. And we walked past this guy and all of a sudden he just, he just started manifesting, just started. And uh, my kids go, dad, what just happened? I said, oh, the, the devil, the demons in him recognize the Christ in us. And my kids go, so can we go cast it out? 
And I said, yeah, well, let's go do it. And, and so I said, they've never been taught to fear the devil more than they love God. The reason that's their response is nobody ever told them they couldn't. Are you hearing me today? In moments where discouragement tries to come in, I remember moments like that. Do you know that Goliath's size and his sword were not his greatest weapon? The greatest weapon Goliath had was he would would get into a higher place and he would speak down to God's people and to the army of Israel and he would just say, you're nothing. You're nobody. You're outnumbered. You're forgotten. You're going to become our slaves. You're dogs. We're going to wipe you out. We're going to kill you. And day in and day out, he just discouraged them with false prophecies. They were listening to the wrong voice. They were listening to the opposite of what God said about them. And David came out to bring some lunch to his brothers. And he hears... Goliath going, you're nothing, you're dogs, we're going to beat you down. And he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that, that he would defile the people of God, the army of God? He's saying, what's wrong with you guys? No, you don't understand, we're outnumbered, Dave, you don't understand. And he just shows up with what he has. He doesn't have any armor because he's not a soldier, he's not a warrior, he's a worshiper. He's a shepherd boy. And they're trying to talk him out of it. Who are you? You're just a little ruddy boy. You, you don't look the part. You don't have the size. You don't have any armor. Try to give him Saul's armor. It doesn't fit. It's really important not to compare yourself to somebody else. Don't compare miracles. I said to the other day, I celebrate whether God heals somebody from a hangnail, a hangover, a cancer, all the same. If God brings healing to it, you should celebrate it. Because there's no such thing as a little miracle. He didn't, listen, David wasn't meant to carry, to wear Saul's armor. Why? That wasn't his anointing. People ask me all the time, David, can you, can you impart, can you give me your anointing? And I tell them, no, because I'm still using it. <laughs> I can't give you my anointing. I still need it today. I'm going to need it tomorrow. I'm going to need it this week. I can't give you mine, but I can help you activate and stir up yours. And David just began to speak to him, and he took what's in his hand, and he took him down. But before he did, he said, "Uh Ah, you're asking me who I am, what's my qualifications? Well, there was a lion that came, and then a bear that came. So this is just my next victory. If sickness comes against my body, I just realize something. This is just my next healing. This is just my next testimony. And sooner or later, the enemy's going to stop messing with me because every time he does, I just get a better testimony. I have a rule when it comes to being a normal Christian don't be weird. Holy Spirit doesn't make you weird. He makes you wonderful. If you're weird, don't blame God. 
That's just you. I just helped about 20 people right now. Seven of people started looking at people next to you like, don't do that. Just because you think it, you don't have to acknowledge it. When I first got saved, man, I was, I was excited about the Lord. I just didn't know a whole lot about this. And I was just happy to be alive. If you were here last couple of days, you've heard part of my testimony that I was a schizophrenic and suicidal and committed suicide and was successful. And God raised me up and all of those things. And I was just happy to be alive. Anybody ever just been thankful to be a survivor? But Jesus didn't save me to survive. He saved me to overcome. He saved me to rule and reign with him. He he saved me. He's anointed me with power from on high. He's endued me with power. See, See, the enemy can't usurp God's authority. That's why he's always trying to usurp yours. He's always trying to get you to question the authority that God's given you as a son or a daughter. That makes sense to you. I remember I was just moved to Pensacola. I just had that experience in the, in the church there in Pensacola. And I'm, I'm at a Winn-Dixie, one of our grocery stores down there. And, and I really need the gift of discernment on this Sunday night. I'm, I'm standing in the ramen noodle aisle. Not because, I mean, I do like ramen noodles, but not to, as much as I had to eat them back then. I was just on a ramen noodle diet and budget, like best 20 cents. At the time, I think they were 18 cents a pack. And so I think I had like two bucks. And so I was sitting there and, and I was just looking, trying to discern, Lord, would you rather have me have sweet and spicy chicken, creamy chicken, shrimp or beef? I'll never forget it. Barry Manilow, Mandy, was playing. Oh, Mandy. Oh, Mandy. My wife said details are important. You're welcome, ladies. You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) The dudes are all like, shouldn't do that, dude. You look really kind of silly. But the girls are like, I love all the details. Tell me more. Guys are like, get to the point. I'm hungry. (laughs) Told you I'm prophetic. I'm not reading your mind. I know your heart. (laughs) And all of a sudden, man, I'm looking, trying to discern. Austin, this four foot ten, bald, missing a front tooth guy came up to me. He's from Louisiana, down from the bayou. He's from Karen Crow, Louisiana. Never saw him before. He goes, "Hey, boy!" <laughs> like I needed, I needed the the words typed out underneath. I needed closed captioning <laughs> to understand him because I'm just a Chicago boy at that time. I didn't understand Southern. I didn't understand redneck theology or, uh, or, or verbiage or language or vocabulary. He said, hey, boy. Translation, hey, boy. <laughs> what had God called you to do? What has God called you to do? Don't, don't worry. I asked him three times what he said. 
I said, I, I think I'm a pastor. He said, oh, no, 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 boy. I guarantee you ain't no pastor. <laughs> God called you to go around the world, preach the gospel. Everywhere you go, lives are changing. He said, mm, I guarantee you're a prophet to the nations. And then he gave me that crazy, charismatic, Cajun look. Oh man, it's important to understand the context. Why? Because nobody was singing hallelujah. Sing it again, Brock. Sing it again. Hallelujah. Like nobody was singing that. Nobody was singing, what a beautiful name it is, because it hadn't been written yet. Oh, man, dee, 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 dee. He starts doing the whole shakadabakadabashadabashadabah. I'm like, dude, Twin Dixie. He goes, I guarantee, boy, God's going to use you or raise the dead. He walked away. I chose chicken. It's really important that you know that. So I go home, I make ramen noodles. I bust up them noodles in the bag, you know, I just beat them. And I boil them, then I add the little seasoning packet. Here's the secret, y'all. That cheap melty cheese, the little singles, craft singles, except I got the Winn-Dixie brand because it's cheap. Shh, don't, don't. Don't you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, Ashton. Don't say no. The answer is more, Lord. More. The interpretation of your tongue is more, Lord. And it melts in there, but it doesn't get like all gooey. It actually just melts and becomes very creamy. Do yourself a favor and try it. If you don't like it, Tom will give you your money back for the whole week. <laughs> Got him. Uh, and so I make it and, and I put some Tony's catcheries in there because it spices up a little bit too. And I go to take a bite and I'm freaked out. Ever get freaked out because God spoke to you? If you don't get freaked out when God speaks to you and it doesn't seem like the most crazy thing in the world, just check it out. And so I just begin to inquire, like, like, Lord, this is crazy. Like, how is this ever going to happen? And the Lord said, I want you to think like a normal Christian. I, want you to I don't want you to think like a church Christian. I want you to think like a normal Christian that has a word from God over your life. And he said, you'll never see anybody raised from the dead unless you pray for dead people. So on Sunday, I went to church. Some of you get that next Sunday. <laughs> now, so here's what I did. I started reading the obituaries. I had one suit. I thought it was a really great suit. It was an olive green suit. And uh, I thought it was fly, but when I was going to wear it for my wedding, my wife said, don't wear that. It's the ugliest thing I ever saw. And I was like, 
We've been dating a year. I've been wearing it every Sunday for a year, and you haven't complained about it, and now you're telling me? I, mean, I had darned socks. Like, I had a hole in it, so they really needed to be darned. And, and... Yeah. <laughs> the problem is some of you are too, even too young to even know what it means to darn a sock. It means when you get a hole in it, you've got to sew it up, all right? And I'm almost 50, and my whole vocabulary is old. And, and, and I have pleather shoes, part plastic, part leather, mostly plastic with a little leather. And when I walked, my shoes talked because the plastic had pulled away from the leather. And I tried laying hands on the shoes and commanding them to come together, soul to... plastic to leather and nothing happened and so I got gorilla glue didn't work super glue didn't work shoe glue didn't work and so I got some black electrical tape and I wrapped it up but but I did it in such an amazing way and I polished it up so it almost looked like faux gator shoes like don't hate because I have gifts And I start showing up at funeral homes. My only suit, my pleather shoes, and I waited in line. I'd walk and wait through the line, and I'd go in, and I'd say, Oh, your dad was an amazing man. He loved guns and God and fishing and hunting, and I'm going to miss him. I'm so sorry, ma'am. My sympathies to you. John was a great man of integrity, really loved the Lord. And I get to the casket, I go, hey, John, my name's David. If you can hear me, John, open your eyes. I think he tried, but they had sewn them shut. I put my hands on his cold hands. I said, John, If you can hear me, I want you to squeeze my finger. Don't pull it, just squeeze it. (laughs) I've come to get you out of here now. In the name of Jesus, I command you to get up. Arise and live, John. Jesus' name. Nothing happened. So I went to the next room. Mabel was a great great-grandmother to you. Man, I heard her cakes were something. She could cook them biscuits. Man, she, the bows she made with the Ladies' Bow Society was awesome. Mabel, I'm here to break you out. In the name of Jesus, come out, come with me. And nothing happened. And I prayed for a hundred dead people in the funeral homes of Pensacola, and then I got caught. <laughs> and one day I walked in, and they said, hey, we've been watching you. <laughs> and there's no way that you know every dead person in Pensacola. And they threatened me with a restraining order. I said, Lord, what am I going to do? He said, 
never going to see dead people raised unless you pray for dead people. So I went to the directory of the local hospital and I looked up who is the head of maintenance. His name was Alan and I invited him to Red Lobster for lunch. He had steak and lobster. I ate a side salad because that's all I could afford. And I started talking to him. I said, hey man, you have keys to get you into everywhere in the hospital? He said, yeah, everywhere. I said, even the morgue? He said, are you some kind of freak? <laughs> I said, no, man, I'm just a normal Christian that has a word about raising the dead over my life. And your doctors killed them, so what's the worst thing that could happen? My God could raise them. <laughs> now, now, why is it that if you go to a doctor and you're sick and they give you an antibiotic, it doesn't work, you don't go, false doctor! Or the doctors treat their patients and the patients die anyway. You don't go, false, false doctor. <laughs> They're practicing medicine. So I might as well practice in the Holy Spirit. He said, I'll get you in, but if you get caught, you don't know me. I prayed for a hundred dead people in the morgue. And then I got caught. <laughs> Threatened me with a restraining order. Said I couldn't come back into the hospital. Unless I had reason to be there. That's why I have five kids. I mean, that's not the real reason I have five kids, but, but it got me back into the hospital. Are, are you hearing me? You're like, this guy don't know biology very well, but... <laughs> it's Saturday, not Sunday, so I get away with it a little bit. Dan will come back with holiness later and clean it all up and we'll get saved again and again. I'm just a normal Christian as a word about raising the dead over my life. People ask me, did you get discouraged? I said, no, I just became more determined. Because every time it didn't happen, I said, Lord, why didn't it happen? He said, it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. Almost 10 years after I got that word, I flew to Uganda we're ministering to people last night of this outreach we're doing. Thousands and thousands of people. This mama came walking. She's walked with a, a baby about four years old from the Congo border. She's walked two and a half days, occasionally hopped on a, on a bus or on a motorcycle, but pretty much just walked two and a half days. And she's carrying this baby sick with malaria and about six hours before she got to our outreach and our clinic that we had connected to the outreach, the baby dies in her arms. She has to make up her mind, do I keep going or do I bury the baby here? Do I turn around and go back to my village and bury the baby there? But she said, something in me just said I refuse to be denied. In the hot Africa sun, the baby's flesh began to rot. You can imagine flies and buzzards circling. Rigor mortis steps in. And she keeps walking with this dead baby. We're towards the end of praise and worship on our final night. And she gets to the side steps with this dead baby and their security there. And they're trying to keep her back. And she just starts taking the dead baby and starts beating them out of the way with his feet. 
they move pretty fast. AK-47 ain't contending with that. They come and they lay this baby at our feet, Baptist pastor on my right, Methodist pastor on my left, not time for a theological dispensational discussion. She looked me in the eye, she said, my baby's dead, what is your God going to do about it? And I realized all the other hundreds of times were just practice. I said, what's his name? She said, Samuel. I just said, Samuel, I call your spirit back in your body. You will live and not die. You will prophesy, declare the word of the Lord. All of a sudden, all of his flesh healed over. The rigor mortis body went limp. And that little boy sat up, opened his eyes, coughed and sneezed. We gave him some water and matoki. And by the end of the night, he was playing soccer with some friends behind, new friends behind the platform. Because our God is the God who raises the dead. Our God is a God who raises the dead. Our God is a God who raises the dead. Our God is a God who raises the dead. My God is a God who raises the dead. My God is a God who raises the dead. saw it one other time with a two-year-old boy, same thing in Uganda. And I've prayed for hundreds of other people, and I haven't seen it again yet. And it's tension for me, because I know he can, and I know he will. But I get in these moments of tension between what I believe and what I see. But I never let what I see dictate what I believe. I'm looking for the day that we come to the end of hit and miss Christianity. I don't pursue raising the dead. I pursue the God who raises the dead. I don't pursue healing. I pursue the healer who heals all of our diseases. I don't pursue prophecy. I pursue Jesus, the prophet who knows the end from the beginning. Are you hearing me? This is not about a pursuit of stuff. It is a pursuit of love. It is a pursuit of him. You can't tell me God doesn't do it because I've seen it. I grew up in a church that was pretty much cessational. They actually really didn't have any view on the gifts. Maybe somebody gets it, somebody doesn't, but it's not like a normal thing. People misunderstood me because of this gifting I had, and that's how I think I got the diagnosis of of mental illness and all of those things. I, I was just misunderstood. Now, I've done a lot of things wrong in my life. I've done a lot of things probably not the best in ministry. But I've done one thing right, one thing right. I've raised my kids in the presence of God. 
I've raised my kids in the house of God. I've raised my kids knowing that this stuff is absolutely positively real. And they will pray for the sick and they will pray to see the dead raised and they will prophesy over people. They'll cast out demons. It is their first response, not their secondary nature. It is their first nature. And here's why. Nobody ever taught them that they couldn't. If you've seen one thing this week, you hold on to that. And you remind yourself, every time you don't see it, you saw it once. Because I'm telling you right now that I believe that I have found the way to get every prophecy accurate. To see every person that the Lord puts in my path, legitimately puts in my path for a healing. I believe I found the, the, the pathway to see that 100% of the time happen. It's all in 1 Corinthians 14.1, which I, I shared with you the other day. Pursue love. Don't pursue ministry. Don't pursue gifts. Don't pursue stuff. Don't pursue fame. Don't pursue fortune. Don't, don't pursue YouTube. Don't pursue Facebook. Don't pursue all that. Just pursue love. Because love never fails. I never Google myself anymore because people say some pretty mean things. They say crazy stuff about Dan and Todd and me and Tom and, and other people, and, and it's fine. They, they don't know us, so I don't take it personal. They're just in pain. So I don't defend it. I don't, I don't argue with it. I don't, I don't fight with it. I, I, none of those things. I just keep pursuing love. A lot of times people like to call me a false prophet. And there's a big difference between being a false prophet and being a wrong prophet sometimes, by the way. I think it all comes down to heart. I think you could prophesy something with the right heart and, and maybe miss it and be a wrong prophet. But I also believe that you can get it accurate 100% of the time with the wrong heart and be a false prophet. Yes. If my motivation is because I love God and love people, God can fix any mess I create. Are you hearing me? I'm not infallible. The Word of God is. Does that make sense to you? But if somebody is using the gift to manipulate or control or get money from you, or any of those things. Listen, it's the motivation of their heart. And I'd rather miss it with the right heart than get it right 100% of the time with the wrong one. But I believe if I'm pursuing love, I can't miss. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Don't, don't flip it around. Don't pursue gifts while desiring love. A wrong definition will, will bring you to a wrong destination. Here's what prophecy is. It's supernaturally speaking forth in your known tongue 
Something from the heart and mind of God that brings edification, exhortation, comfort, and strength to man. Simply put, it's revealing the heart of the Father to his sons and to his daughters. Aren't you glad you get to be a part of that? Aren't you glad that you get to be a part of walking in love and releasing his heart and his mind to people? I love that, man. We literally get to build up by faith. and to, to, be, to be one who walks and brings edification means that you begin to be a builder of men, a builder of women, a builder of the church. Isn't that awesome? I can't even build a popsicle house. I'm more destruction than construction in the natural But in the kingdom, I'm a builder. And every prophetic word I give somebody is just another brick and block of their life. Pretty awesome. It brings exhortation. It literally means to come alongside, or like this, the Holy Spirit himself putting his hands upon the shoulders of the people you're ministering to, begin to whisper to them, you can make it. Keep going. I'm with you. I'm not going to forsake you. I got your back. We're going in, I'm bringing you in. You're created for this moment. Brings comfort and strength. Literally, Holy Spirit coming, wrapping his arms around people saying, hey, it's going to be better than all right. And we get to be a part of that, man. I like the meaning of words. I think words are really important. And to prophesy in Hebrew means this, to flow from the fountain of heaven to bubble up like a spring of living water. It's like clouds bursting with oil, bursting with rain. It's like silver clarions and banners being waved over people. When you get a prophetic word, it's like the Lord starts waving a flag over the person being ministered to, saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This is my beautiful beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. And he allows everybody to see it and to hear it because he's not ashamed of you, no matter what your past is or wasn't. But Here's probably one of my favorites in Hebrew. To prophesy means this. Golden honey dripping from the honeycomb of heaven. When the rabbis would teach their children the Torah at the end of the lesson, the the, the fathers or the rabbis, they would dip their finger in honey and put it on their lips so they would walk away knowing that the word of the Lord is sweet. Some of you and many people in this region have had a bitter taste in their mouth because of a wrong expression of prophecy. And the Lord is about to anoint you to heal their taste, but he's going to turn the bitter into sweet. In Greek, it means to be a spokesman for the Lord, to literally become the mouthpiece of God. How many of you know Paul called us to said that we are ambassadors of hope? You know, when you're an ambassador or you're a spokesperson for a king or a president or or somebody in government, you get all kinds of immunity, you get all kinds of like special privileges and license plates and details getting you through red lights. And if you blow a stop sign in your own personal car, you get diplomatic immunity. It's pretty amazing. Some of you are like, Lord, give me that gift. And, and, <laughs> You get all of these great privileges and new kind of rights, but you give up one basic right when you become an ambassador 
or a spokesperson. You give up the right to your own opinion. You'll never hear an ambassador or the press secretary go, well, my opinion is this. They always say the opinion of my king is, the opinion of my prime minister is, the opinion of my president is. Because it doesn't matter what I think, it only matters what God thinks. I told you the story the other day about Jimmy, who who I wanted to give him a piece of my mind because he kept making his mama cry and going to jail. And the Lord asked me that day, would you rather give him a piece of your mind or a piece of my heart? Because what you think won't change, but my heart will. What I love about prophecy, it has the same power and authority, whether spoken through a peasant, through a homeless person, or a king. I like what Reinhard Bonnke said. He said, God's word in your mouth has the same power and authority as God's word in his mouth. When you say what God is saying, it has the same absolute power. Pretty awesome, isn't it? The power to create, the power to change, the power to heal. Man. People ask me sometimes, they say, Dave, what's the greatest prophetic word you ever got? They come from Bill Johnson, they come from Heidi. Man, they would give me some great ones. The greatest prophetic word I ever got was from a homeless man in Denver, Colorado. January 2012. I'd just come out of a meeting. It was about midnight. Snow was lightly falling. Parking lot was empty. Just me and the pastor walking out. There was a figure coming across the parking lot. As he's walking towards us, he starts screaming out, Who's David? Who's David? Who's David? I thought maybe the guy was crazy, so I pointed to the pastor. (laughs) His name wasn't David, it was Randy, but he was bigger than me, so I figured I could run faster than him, so I finally owned it, and I said, I am, and this guy had his backpack and sleeping bag and cardboard thing on his back. He said, uh, he said hi, David, my name's Isaiah, and I was sleeping under the Platte River Bridge over there right under I-25 in Alameda in Denver. He said, I was sleeping there, and the Lord woke me up and told me to come here and give you this word. He said he gave it to four people in the meeting, but they were too chicken to give it to you. So he woke me up. I said, here am I. I went. He said, the Lord's going to take you to the only place that you told him you didn't want to go. He's going to take you back to the place where your grandfather came to America from. I see windmills on fire, tulips on fire, wooden shoes on fire. And the Lord's about to redeem inheritance, spiritual inheritance for you. And he's going to make you walk in the anointing of the reformer's fire. He wasn't an angel. I saw him a couple more times as I came through and then I lost track of him. Can you imagine the love of God? Do you know how much the Lord loves this guy right in front of you? He loves me enough to inconvenience and wake up a beautiful man that didn't have a physical address but didn't let his circumstance or situation stop his obedience. It was a life-transforming word. 
had all kinds of church wounds. I had all kinds of issues with my upbringing. I'm half Dutch, but I don't have a Dutch last name. And so when I went to Dutch Christian school, I, I, I never felt like I fit in. You know, my stories of mental illness always kind of misunderstood. And I was like, Lord, I'll go everywhere, but don't send me to those people. A week or two after that encounter, I get an email inviting me to come to Holland for the first time. On April 19, 2012, me and my son Benjamin, for his 12th birthday, got on a plane. We flew to Holland. We ministered, and the power of God just fell. There was a revival that lasted for a long period of time. I was going back every couple of weeks, keep fanning the flame. We had Muslims show up. They ended up starting actually a Farsi service for Iranian people that became believers. And, and we started doing, one Sunday we had a baptism of 200 Iranian converts who just gave their life to Jesus in a week's period of time. And, and he gave me a love for my heritage. He gave me my, my spiritual inheritance back. Loves me enough to wake up a homeless person. Well, brother, did you go to Cityquake? <laughs> Did you go to BSSM? Did you go to this ministry school? What are your credentials? Because the credentials where he was available. I love the way God works. It's often ways I wouldn't think that he'd work. A couple of years ago, my, my friend... I love this guy, man. My best friend, his name's Pat Fryer. Now, he and I go on adventures. One time we, we were on this tour through Venezuela and then going to Colombia and, and Panama. And Venezuela was great, and we're moving on to Colombia, and we get on the plane to go from Caracas to, to Bogota. And Man, we, we didn't have favor at all. We, we were on Avianca Airlines, and, and man, they, they put us in, it wasn't first class, and it wasn't even middle class, it was like last class. It was 37 E and F, so bathroom class. No recline to the seat. And we walk all the way to the back of the plane, and there's two ladies in our seat. And I spoke Spanish better than Pat, more like Spanglish. So I got the flight attendant. I said, pardon me, oh, el ladios is in me sitos. And she said, don't do that. I speak English. And, and so a little embarrassing, but I apologize. You know what us Americans do, right? We think everybody should speak English. And when we don't, we try to connect to them. When they don't understand us, we just get louder. Pardon me, oh, el lady, oh, it's a misito. No, 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 don't do that. So she said, oh, this is an easy fix. And she says something to them, like levantate, which I knew was get up. And uh, primera clase, which I knew was first class. And she was inviting the two of them to first class. They say, no, let the gringos go. Oh, the favor of the Lord is upon me. And he surrounds about me like a shield. I started going through that plane like I was somebody. Sup, sup, sup. 
They put my friend in 1B. They put me in 3B. Forget 2B and not to be. <laughs> and all I can think of, man, I'm going to get some good Juan Valdez Colombian coffee. Stuff that makes your tongue tingle. And that's only an hour and a half flight, but I was going to make the most of it and get a nap. And, and all of a sudden, as we just begin to take off, I look down the aisle, and my friend Pat, his, his knee's going like this, and I know that's a sign that either he's got to go to the bathroom or the Holy Spirit's coming on him. And then I hear him start going, I'm thinking, Pat, don't do it. Don't do, do not start an international situation. We've been upgraded. Be thankful. Go to sleep. And all of a sudden he goes, hey, who up here speaks English? I go, I do. <laughs> True story. He said, not you. And the lady next to him goes, I, I speak English. I'm a translator. He said, good. Ask this guy what's wrong with his hand. And she said, hey, sir, what's wrong with your hand in Spanish? And he goes, oh, man, I'm a soap opera star, and I do my own stunts. And I went through a window, through a plate glass window, and I severed the tenders and nerves in my hand. I can't close my hand. I'm just in constant pain. He said, uh, ask him if he believes Jesus can heal him. And she said, I can't do that. I'm an atheist. Now, you got to know my friend. He's just a redneck. And, and he just goes, hmm. She's got to watch him what's going on. She said, I'll tell you what. He said, I just prayed. I just asked uh, uh, Atheos, the God of atheism, if you could ask him. And he said, it's all right. <laughs> and she went for it. She actually went for it. Red redneck theology, buddy. So she asks him, he said, see me as catholico, yo creo en milagros, I'm a Catholic, I believe in miracles. So Jesus, so Jesus, yeah, Jesus through Pat, stretches his arms across the aisle, grabs a hold of his hand, and starts praying, and all of a sudden the guy goes, fuego en mi mano, fuego en mi mano, fuego en mi mano, and God just starts moving the hand, it's pretty amazing. Revival breaks out in first class, and he gives his life to Jesus, and the translator gives his life to Jesus. I look at the guy next to me, and he puts up the newspaper. Like. <laughs> and the Lord gives me a word for the guy, and I'm like, you speak English? He said, unfortunately. <laughs> True. I love honesty, man. I love it. I really do. I love honesty. It's great. And so I said, hey, I'm just sitting here, and I just felt like the Lord told me to not be afraid that by the time you land, the Lord's going to give your wife a new heart. And he just starts weeping, and he is a diplomat from, uh, from Colombia to Venezuela. And he got the call this morning that his wife went into full cardiac arrest. They found her. She was lifeless, had been dead for a bit, and they revived her. But they were just keeping her alive till he got there to say goodbye. And so we talked, we prayed, and, and, and as we landed, I said, well, you know, we're going to be praying for you as we, we travel on. And he said, no, you don't understand, you're coming with me. <laughs> I said, no, I have another flight to catch to Ibagay. He said, no, no, you don't understand, you're coming with me. 
And so I don't know how you feel about being kidnapped or hijacked <laughs> in Colombia. They bring us into black SUVs. We don't know where we're going. Fortunately, we showed up at the hospital. And when we walked in, this man's wife was sitting up in a chair, and doctors were literally scratching their heads, pointing to charts. She was alert. She was talking. And they said, we have no other explanation that somehow between the time she, she had the cardiac arrest and got here and was really in the place where we were just having her on life support to something has changed to where it's like no other way to explain it other than God would have created in her a new heart. Completely changed everything. You think it's radical, but it's really just normal. You can go, well, your friend Pat is an evangelist, you're a prophet, so stuff like this happens. No, we're just normal Christians flying on airplanes, willing to be inconvenienced. Man, I love my friend Pat. He just celebrated 25 years in the kingdom. He got saved with a shotgun in his mouth uh, on, on Easter Sunday of 1996. Shotgun ready to pull the trigger and God walked into the room. Jesus walked in the room. Got saved just about nine months before me. I, I, I show up in Pensacola right after him. He's an evangelist, and we tried to make him a pastor a few times. So. Planted a church, and when he started the church, he had 80 people, then he grew it to 40 people, and then back up to 80, and then he grew it down to 40, and he couldn't understand why. It's because people don't want to live in hospitals. He was getting people saved every Sunday, healed and delivered, but once you get healed and delivered and you get saved, you want to do something. And uh, so he realized it wasn't his gifting, but, but while he was pastoring, he had me come, and we, we did this weekend, man, I'll never forget it. We called it Practical Ministry, a Person and Gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I fly out there, I land, we're, we're in the kitchenette of the church, and there's some commotion that happens. And what happened was, there was this couple that was part of the church for about six months, and they invited a new couple. And uh, they'd never been to the church before, so they went out and had Mexican food before this, the Friday night meeting. And so on the way, they leave the Mexican restaurant. They're all excited to come, and they see a guy walking down the street. The people in the back realize, hey, that's Christopher from work. So they pull over the side of the road. They say, hey, Christopher, you want to come to church with us? And he says, sure. And he gets in the car, and they start pulling away. And as soon as they pull away, they realize they have a huge problem because Christopher is three sheets to the wind drunk. He's vomited on himself. He's urinated on himself. He's talking crazy. And, and so they start texting back and forth, front seat to the back seat. Like, it would be really rude and wrong to, like, just drop him off. Um, so why don't, we get him to the, uh, why don't we get him to the church, and we'll get him some, uh, a change of clothes and maybe some coffee, and uh, we'll call him a cab, and we'll, we'll get him on his way. The people in the front seat were really nervous, like, we can't believe this. The church is going to ask us to leave, and people in the back seat are like, our friends are never going to invite us to church again. 
So they pull in the church parking lot. They're ready to initiate their plan, but Christopher has other plans. He gets out of the car, runs into the church, hooks it right through the foyer, runs right into the sanctuary, runs to the front of the church, falls on his face, and starts weeping. Now, Christopher's never been to church before. He's never watched church on TV. He's never been into a church, doesn't know anything about church. And he would testify later that the reason he came with them is because he thought the church was just another bar. And so he's on his face, and a nice elder came and tried to comfort him, and they realized church was about to start, so you can't have a drunk guy manifesting in the front of the church when you're going to start a service or a seminar on the person who gets to the Holy Spirit. It just wouldn't be good. I don't know why, but they just thought it wouldn't be good. So he brings him to the kitchenette where me and Pat are sitting and, and drinking some coffee and brings him in. I said, hey, man, what's your name? And, and the elder said, don't worry, Brother Dave. Don't worry, Brother Dave. We got it all under control. We're going to get him some coffee, get him some clothes from lost and found, and uh, we're going to get him in a cab and get out of here. I said, that's not what I asked. I said, what's his name? What's your name, buddy? He said, my name is Christopher A. Cornstalk. Cherokee Indian. That's how he introduced himself. I said, Christopher A. Cornstalk, I'm David J. Wagner, and I'm glad to meet you. How'd you like to be my guest of honor tonight? He took my invitation, and I sat him right on the front row next to me, center aisle. He slept during worship. When I started teaching, Christopher would make all kinds of sounds. He would burp. He would other bodily functions. <laughs> he fell out of his chair numerous times, not under the power of God, he was just drunk and fell over. He, he, he's screaming out, he's, almost you think he has Tourette's, he's cussing. And you see the church folks, man, they're whispering to each other. Why do they have this guy in here? Where are the ushers? How come they're here? Why? This is happening, and all of a sudden the Lord starts giggling in my ear. He says, isn't it great? <laughs> isn't this great? Isn't it wonderful, son? Isn't it great? I'm like, yeah, but what's so great about it, Jesus? I think these people are going to kill me, and I'm not going to get an offering this weekend for sure. <laughs> said, isn't it great? He doesn't know how to behave in church yet. What will we do when Jesus sends us people who don't know how to behave in church yet? who don't act right, who may be a little bit soiled, a little bit rough around the edges, not smell so pretty and right. I got done with my teaching and was doing some activation. I said, Christopher, would you like to give your life to Jesus? He said, yeah, it was before I ever listened to Dan Muller, so I made him lift his hands because if it doesn't look like you're being held up at gunpoint, praying the sinner's prayer, it's not going to work. And so he, he you know, led him through the prayer. Power of God hit him. Three demons come screaming out. Then he gets up and goes, hey, where'd my buzz go? <laughs> ah, forget it. This is better. <laughs> I was a little offended because I wasn't teaching on tongues until 2 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. I'm going to mess with your theology. Because he goes from drunk and demonized to born again, set free, 
baptized in the Holy Spirit all in a matter of about three minutes. He gets up off the floor and starts singing a prophetic word over me. It's the same prophetic word the homeless guy in Denver spoke over me. Now I'm really confused. Because I ain't hitting prophecy till four. <laughs> but he didn't go to the new members class. He didn't pay for the materials for this weekend that I paid for. He hadn't been to ministry school yet. After the meeting, we were pretty pumped, so we went out to IHOP. We were done being spiritual. It wasn't the International House of Prayer, International House of Pancakes, all right? <laughs> Christopher comes with us. We're there. We're, we've ordered. We're drinking our drinks, and we're just hanging out. And all of a sudden, this 12 or so belligerent drunk guys come in. And they're being rude to the waitress and they're throwing paper and doing all kinds of crazy things. Christopher goes, excuse me a minute. Goes over the table, he puts his hands on the table. And next thing I know, these 12 people are just going, <laughs> and he just tells them his story and he leads them in a prayer. An hour earlier, he was drunk and demonized. And got set free, baptized in the Holy Spirit, started prophesying. And within his first hour of salvation, he became an evangelist. Yes. A few minutes later, said goodbye for the night. And next morning, we show up at the church around nine. Christopher's there with 40 of his newest friends. They've got, hair, they've got grass in their hair. Some of them are bleeding from their elbows. They, they look like a mess. They look like kind of what I'd imagine David's mighty men looking like in the cave. I said, Christopher, what happened? He said, man, I, I couldn't sleep. I was too excited. I had to find people that were like me, so I went to all the places I used to hang out with. And I said, I just started inviting people here. If they couldn't walk, I just rolled them here. True story. <clears throat> I pray this prayer every day. And the prayer is this. Lord, what's on the other side of my obedience? Show me the miracle. Show me the healing. Show me the deliverance. Show me what's going to happen ahead of time. Give me an idea what's going to happen. Because it's going to build my faith to get on another plane, to leave my family for another weekend, to go and preach the gospel, to do something for you. Don't underestimate what's on the other side of your obedience being here. Whether you've seen the fruit of it yet, whether you've seen some great miracle and a leg grow out and somebody get completely radically healed or somebody get set free, or maybe you haven't seen it yet. You keep praying because there's going to come a day where as you keep pursuing, you keep pursuing love, you keep pressing into Holy Spirit, it will change everything. As I close this morning, I want to break a lie off of you. Somehow you're too far gone, and if you, we just really knew your story, we wouldn't really want you here, and there's no way that you should be qualified to do this. I'll tell you a funny story, all right? I mean, 
I like telling on myself because when I tell on myself, the devil has nothing else to say. <laughs> so uh, you know, I came out of schizophrenia, mental illness. I was an alcoholic and had some drunk drivings in, in, that I'm not proud of. But you know, I did time. I paid fines and you know, all that stuff. And, and so I, I've been clean, sober, serving God for, for 20 years and down in Pensacola, Florida. And we moved. God relocated us to... Uh, to, to Nashville area, to Franklin, Tennessee, in July of 2019, and uh, and and so we went, <clears throat> we went there, and um, a few months later, you know, in, in January of, of 2019, I decided I liked it enough. I was going to make it official, so I went to get my uh, my driver's license in Nashville, in, in, in Tennessee. So I walk in, I make the appointment, I bring my birth certificate and my Florida license, and you know, uh, proof of residency, all that stuff. And I walk in, I go up to the counter and the lady types stuff in and she looks all perplexed and she goes to get a supervisor and then another supervisor and then the state trooper. And they say, uh, Mr. Wagner, we can't give you a driver's license because there's a, a warrant for your arrest. And I said, really? And he said, yeah, uh, something out of Wisconsin and, and we don't know what it is. I'm like, are you going to hook me up? Are you going to put me in handcuffs? They said, no, they won't extradite you from here, but you need to take care of it. And so it was, I just stepped aside from the counter, and I, 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 I called, got on the thing, and I found out that evidently, and I did the, there was some drunken disorderly thing from like 1995, and, uh, and, and I did the time and all this stuff, but I, I didn't pay the $263 fine. So I just paid the fine right there on my phone. Warrant disappeared within a few minutes. So I got back in line to get my license, and they said, we, we can't give you a license because your license has been revoked for 20 years. And I said, I can't have a revoked license. I've had a valid license in Florida for the last 20 years. And so I give you Florida license, you give me Tennessee license, and I go drive, drive away. <laughs> and they said, that's not how it works. And I said, what's the hold on it? They said, we don't know. You'll have to call them. So I call up and, and I find out that I paid the fine. I did the 10 days in jail for my second DUI. Um, but I'd never went through a drug and alcohol uh, assessment. So I'm sober 22 years, and I have to go through a drug and alcohol assessment. So I said, do I have to go up there to do it, or can I just do it here? They said, we have to approve of it, but if you find somebody. So I, I call up this, this counseling center, and they do it, and they approved of it. So I tell them, fill out all the paperwork. I tell the guy my story. While I'm telling the guy my story, he starts weeping. And uh, he doesn't feel bad enough where he doesn't take my 300 bucks, but, but he, he's <laughs> sympathetic. And he's just weeping. And he said, oh, he said, man, that's a really great story. And he said, I really hate to do this to you because you're a really great guy and I love the story. But uh, they're not going to release your license. And even if they, didn't, uh, if they weren't going to require this, Tennessee's going to require this, you need to go through DUI school. I said, man, I've been sober probably longer than the dude going to teach DUI school. <laughs> and he said, I know you need, to te you need to go, though. So I, I said, when is it? And I sign up for it. And, and so I have to fly my daughter to the Netherlands because she's going to do an internship there for four months. And so I fly her there on Valentine's Day. I turn around the next day on Friday, and I, I land back Saturday morning. And at, at noon, I have to go to DUI school. Now, my sons, I love my sons very much, the two older ones. My oldest son, Ben, he's really pastoral. He's got an amazing heart. 
and uh, he loves me a lot, and, and you know, he's weeping, driving me to DUI school. Now, my sons aren't, don't even let me sit in the front seat because they both have licenses, and I, evidently I didn't. So <laughs> I sit in the back seat. My, my son Ben is crying. He's like, oh, Dad, I'm so proud of you. What a man of integrity. You could have driven without a license. Nobody would have caught you because you drive real slow anyway. And then, you know, like, he's like, Dad, you're going to go into DUI school. God's going to give you words of knowledge, and you're going to lead people to Jesus. And this is a divine appointment. It's not, you know, something that's going to put shame on you, Dad. And uh, my other son, Caleb, he's a, he's a prophet. And he goes, my dad's a convict. (laughs) He's just reveling in it. He's just enjoying the fact that his dad has a story bigger than the one he already knew. He's like, it's cool that my dad used to be crazy, but now that he's he's a convict, he's got some paper, you know, like street cred. And and so uh, he he said, you know, dad, I think just somebody from our new church here is going to see you when you're walking into the UI school. Sure enough, I pull up, they drop me off, and here goes the associate pastor, Hong Kong. I go to DUI school. The guy sees me again, remembers my story, starts crying as he takes my payment. I, I go in. He didn't, you know, didn't cry too much. He gave him another 250 bucks. I went in. I meet the teacher. His name is Jimmy. He's got a long ponytail. And he's filled with dad jokes and recovery jokes for days. So I introduced myself, say, Jimmy, thanks for doing the class. My name's David. Uh, I've been sober 22 years. And he's like, man, I've been sober 18. Maybe you should teach. <laughs> he said, I was in prison 18 years. And I was in prison when you got saved, man. And, you know, and so when you got sober, man, and, and uh, I just realized finally there came a day where I just realized that I was allergic to alcohol. Every time I, I drank it, I broke out in handcuffs. Here, 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 here. <laughs> like, you think my jokes were great? And I sit next to this kid, man, and I sit next to him, and I look at him, and the Lord said, tell him he's not a screw-up. I said, Lord, I don't even think you can talk like that. He said, tell him. I said, son, the Lord wants you to know, I don't know you, but my name's David. He said, my name's Cameron. I said, the Lord, I'm just sitting here. I just felt like the Lord wants you to know you're not a screw-up. He starts weeping and weeping and weeping, and he said, uh, when my mom told my dad that she was pregnant with me, she said, this, this kid, he said, this kid's going to mess up my life. He's going to screw up my life, except said worse. And he said, my dad has never called me Cameron in all my 24 years. He's only called me by this curse word. And he showed me his text message. Every text message from his dad began with, I like Cameron to the Lord later that afternoon, and for two days of a 12-hour DUI school, I sat around smoking circles, coffee pots, and on breaks, ministering to 26 people I would have never had access to. One of the things Jimmy said to me, he said, oh, brother, it always happens. Your past always catches up with you. And as soon as he said it, the Lord said, don't you believe that lie? This isn't your past catching up to you. This is just goodness and mercy. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And goodness and mercy followed me into DUI school. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.
Here's why I'm telling you that story. Because if you can if you can testify, you can prophesy. Because when I talk about what God did for me today, it's a prophetic word for what he's about to do for you tomorrow. I want you to hear this as I close. There's glory on your story. I don't care if you were the vilest of sinners and the craziest of crazies and the addicted of addicted. You're looking at it right here. Do I look mean to you? I grew up fighting all the days of my life. But when he saved me, man, I was just filled with mercy and compassion and his loving kindness that's better than life. I'm not who I was. I'm who he's called me to be. What if you already are who he's always called you to be? What if you already are who you've always wanted to be? Here's what I need you to know right now. You're great. And the world needs your greatness. There's glory on your story. There's glory on your story. Brother, there's glory on your story. One of the greatest honors of my life was having the conversation with you this morning. When you shared just some stuff with me, man, it built my faith to go on another day. You're a faith builder. You're an encourager. You're a warrior, but also an amazing worshiper. And I bless the call of God on your life. You're not going to live in the shadow of anybody else or anything else other than the shadow of the, uh, of the most high, man. I bless you in that. Honey, on, on the third row, I think you were wearing a, a lapel, a, a label thing that said guest host. Or, and uh, I, just, I just felt like the eyes of the Lord were fixed upon you. Because the eyes of the Lord look to and fro the earth, looking to find those that are loyal to him. When I looked at you this morning during worship, the Lord said, you're not going to find anybody more faithful and loyal than she is. Because everything you do, you do it with your whole heart. And there's this quiet faith in you that may not feel like a lioness yet. But there's a lioness arising on the inside of you. And whether you whisper a word to people or you scream from the mountaintop, they're not just going to hear it, they're going to feel it. But the scripture I saw for you is from the, the Beatitudes, from the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And the anointing to see God, which gives you the anointing to see the future, is coming upon you today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. As I turn it over to Tom, not because I want to, because I have to. If you're in this room, Somehow you feel like you, you're just disqualified from all of this. and you, It's almost like the enemy's been trying to whisper in your ear, as soon as this is over, this is going to leave. If I'm talking to you, I want you to stand to your feet. If you're somehow afraid that, that somebody's going to find out about your past and it's going to disqualify you, I believe the Lord wants to just do business with it and, and, and take care of it right now in this moment. That's why I share this story. If I'm talking to you, I want you to stand to your feet. I feel like there's a woman here that you feel like you're divorced of the past is, is disqualified you from ministry. And I break that lie off of you. I break the lie off of you. As long as you have breath, God wants to use you. Your prison sentence, your rap sheet, your, 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 your committal papers, all of this stuff have nothing to do 
with the future. He said, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, to give you a hope and a future. A hope and a future. A hope and a future. Lord, I break the lie off that, Lord, somehow they're disqualified, that somehow you could never use them, that they can only watch it, they, can, they should just be glad that they're here. But Lord, you put a plan and a purpose and a hope and a future on the inside of them. And Lord, I call them into that. And Lord, whenever they look over their shoulder, but I thank you that their past no longer exists. And the only thing following them is goodness and mercy. Let goodness and mercy follow them as they minister on the streets today. Let goodness and mercy follow them wherever they go. I just kept hearing these words, it's not too late. Some of you look at the age that you are and you say, I've just missed it. God is going to redeem the time. I feel Jesus, the redeemer in the room, the anointing to redeem the time, the anointing to redeem the time in Jesus name, in Jesus name. Lord, I bless this amazing woman of God right here on the front row. Honey, I just want you to hold out your hands like you're receiving a gift. I just felt like the Lord said that this is the season where he's putting a big stamp of approval upon you. He's putting a big stamp of approval upon you. And I break off every lie and every word spoken against you. And I release the blessings of God, the blessings of heaven over you. I had you hold out your hands because I heard the Lord say these words. Tell her, welcome to the healing ministry. And so, Lord, I just release that anointing of healing hands. Let it flow through her. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Right, right there last night, you're in the back, right? And uh, your love and your joy is contagious. And your testimony yesterday, I don't know, it just tweaks something in me. And I feel like the Lord said you're going to be one of those ambassadors, ambassadors of hope. The Lord's going to send you into traditional places. Like I saw, you, I saw you ministering and leading groups of Methodist women and Baptist women and Presbyterian women and women who have no church background, all into the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Like, I feel like one of the greatest gifts of your life is you're not just going to get them you know, healed and, 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 and to pray a prayer, but you're going to watch them get completely filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And I just felt like the Lord said that the blessings of God is upon your house. And I feel like your house is a magnet for people. And the doorposts of your house are salvation. The walls are restoration and healing. And Lord, I just thank you right now for that anointing of grace. But I thank you for using her to restore the family altar and the family table in Jesus' name. I believe there's about to be an outpouring of the Spirit of God through traditional churches in this region. I believe people are going to be surprised again by the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. And I'm just telling you right now that this is a season. Can we just love people where they are? Yes. Love people where they are. And then when they pass us by because they're hungrier than we are, don't get upset about it. I was in an Anglican seminary teaching. There's pomp, circumstance, liturgy, and I was sitting there wondering how in the world this is supposed to be a healing day, a day of healing. Like, Lord, how are you going to work through this? And the Lord said, don't you tell me where I can work. I'll use anything they give me. Next thing I know, blind eyes were opening, deaf ears were hearing. 
That night we had a healing service. I walked in this processional. They gave me a robe. I never wore a robe before. It's pretty cool. I went the wrong way. I was supposed to go right. I went left. And, and through it all, God just used it. It was, it was, in, it was in Pennsylvania, outside of Pittsburgh. And, and, and there was this 86-year-old lady with Alzheimer's. And God healed her in the middle of the service. She's 93 now, completely in her sound mind, living on her own. That, that day, I remember walking out, and, the, and the, the priest was a little bit freaked out. And I said, Brother John, you all right? He said, he said yeah. He said, I'm a little shaken because uh, 26 years ago, tomorrow, I was sitting right here in the foyer, and this is where the seminary started. I was getting ready to eat my beefaroni. I forgot to say grace, so I went to stop to say grace, and I started speaking in tongues and couldn't stop. And it freaked me out because in our tradition and denomination, that was kind of a debated thing at the moment, so I just shut it down. And he said, uh, today it came back upon me and I can't stop. And it's like the Lord has redeemed it. It's like I never missed a day in the last 26 years. And God will use everything. And so we have this idea to put people in paradoxes and boxes and God can't and God won't and, and all of those things. God will use whatever he has. Can I challenge you as I give it to Tom? Look for people today. But if you're driving by churches, walking by churches, will you just pray, do drive through blessings. Bless their online services. Bless the fact that tomorrow during communion, God's going to show up and heal people in the Catholic church and in the Episcopal church and in the Methodist church and all of the churches that we think are, are opposite of us. Because if we're not careful, we will become religious in our charismatic world. Are you hearing me? And I feel like there's freedom. I feel like some of you are being set free from tradition to set you back into tradition. What the Lord sets you free from is normally what he'll set you up for. This Wednesday, I'm going into a mental hospital to minister, to minister to staff, and then to do a chapel service. What were my credentials? A hospital bill and a bracelet and a court order. Talk about it. If you can testify, you can prophesy. Are you hearing me? Some of you right now, you're going to get, see so many people get so set free. In Jesus' name, I wish I had more time. Bless you. Thanks for listening. Can you give a hand for Tom Rotolo? Hey, thanks for listening to our podcast today. If this message has impacted your life, we invite you to check out cityquake.org. Just so you know, our policy here at CityQuake is to offer messages like this one for no charge. Why is that? We want to bless as many people as possible. Would you consider sewing into CityQuake today to help us get these messages out to even more folks out there? Also on the CityQuake website, you'll be able to find links to testimonies of what God has done out there in the streets and also find out our CityQuake schedule. That's cityquake.org. Until next time.